Hi, everyone. This is Podcast for Patients with the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation. I'm Lee Clark, patient educator. Our podcast series is brought to you by the generous support of patients, families, and caregivers, and a special grant from Bristol Myers Squibb. Thank you, everyone, for supporting and joining the series today. We're today going to be talking with Dr. David Steemsema regarding MDS and toxins. He is an associate professor at Harvard Medical School and faculty member in the leukemia program at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. He is also the Edward P. Evans Chair in MDS at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Welcome, Dr. Steemsema, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you. Could you give just a brief uh, description of what is MDS? MDS is a term that refers to a group of bone marrow disorders that have several common features. Number one is they are bone marrow failure syndromes. That means that the bone marrow is ineffective at making blood cells. Secondly, they really are cancers. They are um, classified as such by the World Health Organization. They have um, mutations uh, similar to leukemia and uh, a subset of patients, a minority, uh, will progress uh, over time to acute leukemia. And finally, they are also defined by marrow uh, blood cells, marrow cells and blood cells that appear abnormal under the microscope. This is called dysplasia, and that's where the word myelodysplasia or myelodysplastic comes from. Milo just means marrow. So it means the cells look abnormal when they are uh, seen under the microscope. Thank you. What are some of the known causes of MDS? The biggest contributor to MDS is aging. The majority of people who are diagnosed with MDS are over age 50. The median age is in the early 70s. As we go through life, the stem cells, the seed cells in our bone marrow, accumulate DNA mutations just by random chance. And the majority of those mutations are inconsequential. We could detect them. DNA sequencing, but they don't affect the behavior of the stem cells. And so the majority of the population who are lucky enough not to get MDS, they never get a mutation in one of their stem cells that impairs its function. However, people with MDS uh, just happen to have uh, acquired a mutation uh, in the stem cells or a set of mutations uh, in the DNA that causes stem cells to behave differently and no longer able to make uh, healthy blood cells. And thank you. What are some of the known toxins that can cause MDS? Other than time, which is the biggest toxin because of the accumulation of errors uh, in DNA that I I mentioned, uh, the best established are with chemotherapy and with radiation therapy. So people who undergo radiation therapy, especially to what's called the axial skeleton, which means the spine, the hips, and the the skull, the the central uh, part of the body, um, are at some increased risk for getting MDS. Obviously, the majority of people who don't, uh, who who get radiation, don't develop MDS, so there's an element of chance there as well, Uh, but it is a risk factor. 
Secondly, chemotherapy, and it's not every chemotherapy that can do this, but it's a large range of chemotherapy that are given for other diseases that can predispose to MDS. So a typical patient might be a woman who received chemotherapy for breast cancer five to 10 years ago, and she received radiation as well, perhaps. And then during routine monitoring, her oncologist notices her blood counts are lower than they had been, and evaluation shows uh, MDS. So those are the best established. Now, in the older literature, patients uh, would sometimes be exposed to benzene. There's not a lot of benzene out there that we get exposed to nowadays. Uh, it's very well um, contained in most industrial applications. Most places where benzene used to be used have been replaced by other safer materials, but you'll find that in textbooks as well. And the final one worth mentioning is cigarette smoking. There are all sorts of toxins in cigarette smoke, uh, including a subset of chemicals that are called hydrocarbons. Those are similar to the uh, ring in benzene, and they can be injurious to the stem cell as well. And studies of the population show that people who have a history of smoking have a higher likelihood of getting MDS than those who have never smoked. You know, the most people with MDS haven't smoked, but of those who have, there is a greater risk. Thank you. Do toxins impact the progression of MDS if a patient is known, if their cause is known to a toxin? So patients who have MDS that's related to toxin exposure often have a more rapid moving clinical course. Um, what we term these uh, as collectively as therapy-related MDS. Uh, it's thought to represent about 15 to 20 percent of MDS as a whole. And uh, these patients tend to have a life expectancy that is not very long, usually less than two years, sometimes less than a year. And a lot of that is driven by the biology of therapy-related MDS. Many patients have a very complex chromosome breakage pattern, and the real danger is in those who have lost function of a gene called TP53. The TP53 gene is sometimes called the guardian of the genome in that its job is to detect if mutations have occurred in the cell's DNA, and if so, to hold the cell uh, from copying itself until that repair, uh, until that DNA damage can be repaired. Uh, if P53 is not working, if the cat's away, then the mice will play, so to speak, and the cell can continue to copy itself despite the DNA damage. And that turns out to be a very dangerous uh, situation. MDS that arises out of the blue so-called de novo MDS can have a TP53 mutation, but it's much more common in therapy-related MDS. In fact, the majority of patients have TP53 mutations, and that's thought to account for the reason that they do worse. Interestingly, uh, we have two copies of TP53 in our cells. Uh, some people are born with only one functional copy. It's a um, syndrome called Lee-Fraumini syndrome, and they often 
develop cancer in childhood or adolescence or in their 20s. Uh, it's a very uh, dangerous uh, syndrome. Many types of cancers, including MDS or leukemia, can arise in such a person. But elephants, they have such a big body, you would expect just by sheer number of cells that they would be getting cancers all the time, but they don't. And a large reason is because they have uh, about 20 copies of the TP53 gene. And so they have a lot of uh, police activity in their cells, shall we say. Thank you. Uh, you launched the Asian Orange and MDS study at Dana-Farber in 2016. Uh, what were the findings? Yes, this uh, study, which was uh, sponsored uh, by AMDS and by the Edward P. Evans Foundation, uh, was meant to look at individuals who have developed MDS who had presumptive exposure to uh, Agent Orange during the Vietnam conflict. And what we had hoped to look at was, do those individuals have some sort of molecular difference uh, in their DNA compared to MDS as a whole. What I really would have liked to have done is to go back to the 1970s and check the blood of men and uh, the, the small subset of women that were returning from Vietnam uh, and from Agent Orange exposure there and to look for DNA mutations then. Because what we've learned is that these mutations may take decades to accumulate. I can talk more about that in a minute, but the first mutations might have occurred in Vietnam. What we found was that by the time the MDS already develops, the uh, MDS does not appear different from MDS in the population as a whole. Um, similar sorts of mutations were seen. There wasn't anything unexpected. So MDS in veterans is like MDS generally. But we weren't able to definitively answer the, the question that I think we'd like to know, which is just what is the magnitude of risk elevation for veterans um, who were exposed to Agent Orange in 1968 or 1970 uh, compared to the unexposed population? Because, you know, if you were 18 in 1968, you're 70 today, and 70 is the peak age for getting myelodysplastic syndromes just anyway. So if you get it now, we don't know. Did it actually have anything to do with the age in orange exposure, or would it just have happened anyway? And unfortunately, we can't uh, go back in time and, and uh, you know, show the clear biological progression from one mutation to multiple mutations. Dr. Steemsema, are there um, toxins that people can be exposed to at work or maybe through hobbies that could be a cause of MDS? Many people are exposed to uh, potentially hazardous uh, chemicals uh, in their workplace environment. Um, for instance, uh, people who work uh, on road crews or who pump gas in a, a, a gas station, they may be exposed to fumes from tar and from gasoline and uh, inhaling those could cause DNA injury. The, the difficulty is that you know, many people are in those occupations and only a very tiny proportion ever get MDS. And, and those exposures tend to be at a very low level. And so it's often quite difficult to say uh, whether an exposure from 
uh, you know, glue for making uh, ship models or uh, tar from from uh, doing uh, road work contributed to MDS. There, there has to be an element of chance as well. I'm often asked uh, by patients because it's about this because it's it's natural to want to look back and say, okay, this this bad thing happened to me. Why did it happen? What was the cause? And and people start to think, well, maybe it was something I ate or didn't eat, or maybe it was something I was exposed to uh, in my uh, environment um, or in my workplace or some special hobby I do, you know, that maybe seems dirty, repairing cars or something. Uh, and, but we we just... You know, we don't have the, the data, number one, uh, to, to clearly make that uh, connection. Uh, and number two, it's uh, pretty uh, rare for an individual, even who has heavy exposures, to, to, to be diagnosed with MDS. So there's clearly other things going on. And that doesn't mean that exposures don't matter. I mean, if you look, for instance, at... Um, individuals who were exposed to the atomic bombs in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, even 60 years later, 2005, uh, after the event, they were still having an increased rate of MDS diagnoses compared to the general population who wasn't exposed in Japan. So, um, you know, there are uh, exposures that may have happened many years ago that may be contributing, but it's, it's just really hard to pin any of that down. Does the type of toxin impact uh, the tr treatment decisions? Uh, ironically, it really doesn't. And, and this is uh, something that comes up with therapy-related MDS where we say, okay, you know, chemotherapy caused your disease, and the best treatment for it is chemotherapy. And that seems paradoxical to a lot of patients, understandably. Um, uh, number one, it's a different type of chemotherapy and, and less intense and has different biological uh, activity. But um, there's uh, the, the, the treatment is largely uh, determined by the disease uh, biology and, and presentation. Um, that being said, you know, there may be genotype-specific things that uh, are important in the future. For instance, um, TP53 mutations uh, are targeted by a drug called APR246 that's in a randomized clinical trial. Um, in the interest of disclosure, that's a trial we're doing at our center. It's a, you know, more than 30 centers are involved. I don't get any money from them or anything, but uh, I should be uh, transparent about that. Uh, that study is, is just finishing up, and uh, we'll wait to see what the results are compared to people who got azocytidine or Vidaza, um, you know, that'll, um, that maybe that'll be a treatment that helps for TP53 mutation MDS, uh, where we really don't have super effective therapies right now. Thank you. Um, the Edward P. Evans Foundation created the Edward P. Evans Center for MDS at Dana-Farber. Could you tell us a little bit about um, the center and how that would impact for MDS patients? Yes. Yeah, so a number of centers uh, put in proposals to be an MDS uh, center and receive special funding from the Evans Foundation. And uh, two centers were selected, uh, us at Dana-Farber uh, in conjunction with, with colleagues uh, at Mass General and Boston Children's, and uh, the uh, Washington University in Lewis, 
where the leader of their MDS center uh, is Matthew Walter. Um, ours in Boston is, is co-led by me clinically and by Benjamin Ebert uh, on the bench research uh, laboratory side. So this Edward P. Evans Center has uh, four components. Uh, there's an endowment that will allow us to do some future research. There's some uh, startup funding for some active research program. There is a um, small amount of money to bring in a couple of visiting speakers um, to meet with us and exchange ideas and collaborations uh, each year. And then finally, uh, some money to uh, fund a special MDS fellow. And we've uh, hired a very promising young investigator, uh, Rahul Vejula, who had been a Dana-Farber uh, fellow and a resident uh, with us as well. And uh, he's going to start on the faculty uh, next month uh, as part of our leukemia program. And if anyone was interested in finding out about um, any of the programs or trials, uh, how, who would they reach out to? So if people are interested in finding out uh, what clinical trials uh, are available, uh, there's a couple uh, ways that they can do that. The best is, is usually uh, clinicaltrials.gov, uh, which is a website. It's a national clearinghouse. So that way, if they're in California or Michigan, they can see what trials are available uh, near them. Uh, our Dana-Farber uh, website has a list of trials and studies that are available uh, at our center. And of course, we're, we're happy to see patients in person or uh, consult virtually with the uh, pandemic. We've moved a lot of our medicine uh, to uh, telemedicine. And a lot of our patients uh, were doing remote consultations, so you can get our opinion uh, without having to come to Boston. Of course, to participate in the study, you'd have to actually come to, to Boston to enroll and be treated. But um, uh, if somebody just wants a consultation, uh, we and many other centers are now doing those, uh, many of those remotely. And I think that's here to stay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Steensema, for taking the time today to talk with us about uh, MDS and toxins. And thank you, everyone, for listening. You can find out more about bone marrow failure disease on our website, aamds.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or by calling our helpline at 800-747-2820. Thank you.